Improving taxpayer experience or customer experience has a provable positive impact on a person's trust in the agency they're dealing with and in government as a whole. And the ripple effect of that trust building goes well beyond tax filing. And it really has the potential to change the relationship between individuals and government for the better. Benjamin Franklin once said that nothing is certain except death and taxes. Over 200 years later, that still rings true. In just a few months, many of us will be getting our W-2s or 1099s from our employers and scrambling to get our tax paperwork in order so that we can file by mid-April. I'm sure many of you don't look forward to this experience, but there's some good news happening for this year's tax filing. The agency responsible for handling all of our tax returns, the Internal Revenue Service, or IRS, is thankfully starting to use funding and strategy driven by the Inflation Reduction Act to make our interactions with the IRS as painless as possible. While the IRS is working toward increasing access, transparency, and trust with taxpayers, the agency's Office of Online Services has its own special role as the IRS has seen year-over-year increases in people opting to file online. During the 2022 calendar year, the IRS saw about 150 million 1040 individual tax return forms filed electronically. That's almost half of the people in the United States. And those numbers are expected to grow this year. So thankfully, I think it's time for us to say goodbye to sitting on the phone for hours at a time with the IRS to figure out how to get our taxes done and to learn about the future of taxpayer interactions with the IRS. Today on Empathy Affect, the Forest Marsh Media podcast that explores the human side of government, we're getting digital. I'm your host, Melissa Harris-Sizinski, and we're joined by Office of Online Services Director Karen Howard and User Experience Services Director April Harding to see how digital services, artificial intelligence, and taxpayer preferences can come together and transform how you engage with the IRS. Karen and April, welcome to Empathy Affect. It's wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah. So I'd love to start by getting to know your office, the Office of Online Services, a little bit more. If you look at the arc of history with the IRS, a lot of the biggest milestones that the agency has reached over the past decade plus have been in the digital services space. Your office has a big role to play in that obviously by the title. So how have you considered this history, such as the different calculators and resources you've launched when you think about the nature of your work and the mission of the IRS? Sure, I'll be happy to provide some context there. So anytime you're looking ahead to where you're going or where you want to be, it's always prudent to look behind or back to understand where you've come from, where you've been, what's occurred and what's been done. You really have to ask yourself with an extreme amount of candor, what was successful and why, what failed and why, and what is it? what happened that was okay but could have been a lot better, somewhat of a retrospective. Um, the usual suspects are organizational readiness, budget, timing, lack of understanding of the true business problems and use cases, the right talent unknown upstream dependencies or downstream dependencies and, you know, necessary business processes. I think the biggest and most crucial piece is how the users and customers really experience um, 
and the journey, how it's different today than it was back then and how those tools have or need to evolve to address the experience gaps or if we even need to bring in new tools to develop to replace or complement existing ones. Certainly. I can't let you two escape today without also talking about your backgrounds. I think it's notable that both of you have come to the IRS after spending your careers largely in the private sector. So can you walk us through what drew you to the IRS and how are you reflecting on each of your tenures given your respective backgrounds? Absolutely. I'll start with that one and then I'll pass the mic to April. I joined the IRS at the height of the global COVID pandemic and pre-vaccination. The recruiter who recruited me reached out to me at work super hard to overcome three rejections <laughs> from me to pursue this role. So I, I think that says a lot in itself, right? Being in the service industry all my life, it was extremely frustrated, you know, frustrating um, how arduous and painful understanding the tax code and complying with my personal obligations and where there were issues to resolve. It just didn't feel like anyone was really taking them serious. It was just an awful experience for me. Once I got beyond my personal experience and started to think bigger, you know, and all the emotional experiences that I had with the IRS, I decided that I could continue to complain about what they could or should do, or I could really become part of the change that I wanted to see and leverage my skills and expertise to be part of, of a solution that would benefit every American, I believe. I really begin to think differently of how I could really get into the belly of the beast, so to speak, and make an impact and difference that was truly memorable as a capstone to my career. April, did you want to chime in on that one? Yeah, thanks, Karen. So for me, I have always been very passionate about public service, and actually my master's degree is in public policy. But what I learned in policy school was that perfect policies never get implemented perfectly. They just end up collecting dust. Because people and systems and politics are all messy and complicated and policy alone doesn't account for any of that. So they tend to fall apart, you know, where the rubber meets the road. And I wanted to make things that really impact people. So I focused on building products and spent the first 20 years of my career working in e-commerce and startups and agencies. But for me, there was always something missing because I wanted to affect real change and not just sort of increase profits for shareholders. And when I realized what an extraordinary gap there is between government service delivery. You know, we all saw what happened with healthcare.gov and sort of the way that the technology community has been trying to fix the problems that led to that for the last 10 years and made some real progress, but how much gap still exists and how much that gap between the way we serve people and the way we want to serve people erodes trust. It was an aha moment for me where I saw that kind of merging my two loves of making great products and delivering public service intersect right here. And at this moment in time for IRS in particular, where we have the most impact on every single person and all the ingredients to truly transform, I realized that this was kind of my dream job. <laughs> so when I reflect on my relatively short time here so far, I'm really amazed at how much our online services team, but also the IRS as a whole has accomplished already this year and how much energy and optimism and effort there is toward really transform transformational work. People are so passionate. And that's, I think, not how 
I imagined, and I think maybe not how most people imagine career federal employees to be operating, but it's really inspiring. Yeah. From what I just glimpsed there, uh, April, you've been inspired by public service. Karen, you as well, but you voice those sort of uh, personal grievances before coming there. So I'm wondering, uh, before you came to the IRS, what would you say your opinion of that specific agency was and how has it changed since coming there? It's often a very divisive agency. Some people get scared when the IRS comes knocking on their door. Um, And have there been any surprises that you found across your time with the Office of Online Services? So I'll go first on that one because I was the total opposite of Karen in my opinion of the IRS before I came in. I have always been that nerd that loves to pay taxes. Um, (laughs) Like when I was an independent consultant running my own small business and you have to pay quarterly taxes, you know, my fellow consultants would always complain about that. And I would always be the one that says, this is such a good deal for getting to live in this society. Like our taxes buy us the opportunity to be here. Um, But that is not a popular opinion, I realized. Uh, and I definitely never expected to work here. What has surprised me the most, even more than how energetic and passionate all my colleagues are, uh, is the the real impact of bureaucracy and culture on the creative process. The stakes couldn't be higher for the data we have to protect and the service we have to deliver. So all the people and process and even the tools that we use are aligned around reducing risk, which really has a chilling effect on experimentation and creativity. But I think the good news is that already in, in the you know less than a year that I've been here, I'm seeing that start to shift. And it's a really good challenge on my team side to be creative within those really important constraints and a good challenge for folks outside user experience services at the IRS to kind of re-examine what constraints are really truly necessary and how we need to apply them. And that kind of mutual collaboration around the creative process, I think, is where magic starts to happen. Right. Karen? Yeah, so I think I conveyed a little bit my initial interpretation, which I don't think is uh, or feeling around the IRS. I, I I think it's probably consistent with most people's right. There's a a brand associated with the agency around enforcement, compliance, and you know intimidation to some point. But since joining, I learned that the agency is so much more than that. It's so much more than just enforcement, compliance, um, you know, making the, the, the experience when you receive a, a or have to reach out to the agency or you receive a correspondence for the agency is just a small part of what they do. A large part of what that I didn't realize of what the agency does is around benefits administration. And joining during the pandemic, I got to really see that play out several ways. You know, most people recognize the economic stimulus payments. You know, the agency generates those and a lot of the the credits that we work hard to make sure that people are aware of and how much harder we're working to make sure they take advantage of of them, you know, support for disaster areas, you really don't associate the agency with those. You you associate them with, you know, paying your taxes. And if you don't, there are consequences. I love the fact that the agency is working hard to change that narrative around the services and experience that we're continuing to provide just as much as around enforcement and compliance. And don't get me wrong, enforcement and compliance is necessary, but I think there's two sides and, and most people when they hear those three letters, it only resonates on the other, the compliance and enforcement side. The only real surprise I saw along, uh, aside from that was how much legacy 
and disjointed technology and age, the agency has hobbled along with over the years with the funding deficit deficiencies that lag behind the demand of the increase in, in the taxpaying population, right? So how much they were even able to do in understanding, you know, all that was going on behind the scenes, but they they're still able to deliver on a lot of the services that I just talked about. And I think that really explains a lot around some of the root causes that some of the people experienced during COVID, you know, around calls, um, that we're working to change now. Exciting stuff going on in the agency. Definitely. And we'll talk about the funding bit in a moment, but I kind of want to get into just like some of the feels around the online engagement you're getting. How has online engagement with the IRS changed in recent history? Have you seen more people opting to file electronically or tap into the IRS's website to seek support? Absolutely. Like every industry, people are more online with us with each passing year, and our website activity goes up as more information is needed. Every time new programs or benefits or tax codes change, we definitely see a spike when things like the child tax credit happen or when new regulations are introduced around emerging issues like digital assets. People come to us as the primary source to learn more, but our online account registrations and activity in our online accounts increase as well as we continue to roll out additional self-serve options. And not just online in general, but mobile in particular, we, again, like every other industry, are seeing more people come to us online, on their smartphones and other mobile devices. So our vision for the future of the online experience definitely is something we envision in a mobile device as a beautiful, delightful even, highly functional online experience that where people can go through their entire journey with us on a mobile phone or device. What other digital services and tools have you seen the public leaning into? And how is that engagement informing how you strategize some of the next steps in the online services space or your vision for irs.gov? Sure. So um, we're seeing the public really lean into our efforts around online account, whether it's the um, individual or the tax pro or the business tax account, as we continue to implement experience and self-serving functional enhancements into these tools, we expect to see a dramatic decrease in a need to call or visit any of the IRS centers. Other tools that are one and that we're look, really looking at and seeing uh, the public assimilate into are one and two-way communication tools, document upload tools to so the various online chat vehicles, We are really enabling the taxpaying community to interact with us from anywhere and beyond the normal nine to five that you've traditionally experienced with the agency. We're really leveraging analytics and research on how people interact with what more they expect from these tools. Um, It helps inform our roadmap and our long-term strategic vision for how we leverage digital applications and processes in the agency in the future. Fantastic. Now, I know that we talked about how the IRS was underfunded historically in uh, previous years, but notably, the Inflation Reduction Act was a big moment for the IRS, and it provided about $80 billion in additional funding to your agency, I believe, over the next 10 years. And this past spring, the IRS also released its Strategic Operating Plan, which 
is explaining how your agency plans to spend that money. So can you walk us through how the Office of Online Services is planning to use its allocation of IRA spending to improve how our listeners, the taxpayers, interface with the IRS and ultimately sort of build that trust in your mission? Sure. Um, April and I both will share our our thoughts around that question. So, of course, the Office of Online Services was super excited about the massive funding the Inflation Reduction Act provided for the agency. The plan really highlights five key objectives. And although the Office of Online Services has a play in all five objectives to some extent, we are most heavily focused and involved in and will use our allocation to deliver on objective one, which centers on dramatically improving services to help taxpayers meet their obligations and receive tax incentives for which they are eligible. So that objective really focuses on uh, digital applications that allow transparency, accessibility, visibility, and timeliness in personal information, providing people their personal information, um, easy-to-access tools, simplifying payment processes, and, and just so much more. I can go on and on, while all the while securing the data and the privacy of the public, which is the number one way that we can serve our, our country and our American citizens. I believe that these efforts will continue to improve, will continue to improve on them based on public feedback, analytics, and will certainly improve on how taxpayers interface with the IRS going forward and continue to build public trust in the mission that we're constantly moving and building applications for. So I love this question. This is my favorite question. Because when you think about that massive mandate that Karen just mentioned, dramatically improving services, there's so much scope for change there and so much change is needed. I think we all feel that as taxpayers. So the most radical thing we are doing at this time is stepping back from the day-to-day and looking at what all the products we build add up to and how things come together for the humans we serve always amazes me how the most powerful thing that we can do in a high stakes conversation about product delivery is just pause and ask those little questions that have really big answers. Like, who are our customers? What do we need from them? What do they need from us? Where are the problems? You know, all those sort of core questions. And especially if we think we have a solution, how will we know if it really does solve the problem? In government, we really don't get the space or time to do that because Before we act, taxes have to be filed every year. Laws are passed whenever they're passed. We don't control that and we can't predict it, but we have to implement the tools to enact those laws. So we don't have moments to pause and think big, but it's never too late to ask those questions. And I think in business, people always overuse the phrase, we're building this plane while we're flying it. And we're definitely doing that here. But with the Inflation Reduction Act funding, what that has allowed us to do is also put a team on the ground to engineer a new plane or maybe like a spaceship, right? That's going to take us further, faster and better. And we are putting equal energy into both of those things right now, which is pretty exciting. Definitely. One thing I'm really hearing here between you two is, you know, that quality experience for taxpayers. And to do that at the IRS, you need a robust workforce, And I know that a lot of the IRS's workforce is nearing retirement age. And while there's been this stronger focus and the funding now from the IRA to recruit and retain workers, 
technology can also help fill the gaps along the way. So since you guys sit in the Office of Online Services, how do you see automations, chatbots, or other resources online where people can self-service helping both IRS employees and taxpayers alike? And is there anything that's like really popping in your mind so far? Yeah, it's a big conversation, certainly for us, just like it is around government. All those things that you mentioned, automation, chat in particular, but just generally the idea of harnessing new technology to scale how we use knowledge and how we do research. We see those as things that can absolutely make our human resources more effective and efficient because we all know the tax code is complicated, right? And there's a lot to know, even if you work at the IRS, but it's hard to imagine a future in which machine learning replaces the kind of human intelligence and experience that's necessary to deal with all the nuance of taxes. So I view the technology that is now available in the marketplace as a supplement that can really support the people because the paintbrushes are only as good as the artist holding them. And and that's kind of how I think about machine learning and AI. But when we also think more broadly about recruiting and retaining workers for the future of IRS, because you're right, there is a generation of employees who are going to be aging out and retiring from where I sit. And I think probably throughout the civic tech community, the thing that we need most is not necessarily tax people, but technologists and product people who have the digital tech experience and discernment to make choices about what to make and how to make it for the humans that we serve. And we absolutely need automation and AI and modern tools to do that. But also we need processes for recruiting the right people. So what definitely works best to get folks in the door is the Streamline Critical Pay program that brought on me and Karen, actually. That cuts through a lot of red tape. Direct hire authority is really important for us, too, to be more competitive in terms of timeline and process. But to get technologists and product folks and people who build tools into government more than process, what brings people in the door is passion for public service and an opportunity for impact at scale. So when I think about recruitment, my focus to get the designers and technologists and data scientists that we need is delivering to those folks on the team the space and opportunity to really make that impact and do meaningful work. Because if we can give people the chance to serve using their craft, we'll never have trouble keeping or growing our team. Awesome. So I, I want to pick your two's brains on your perspective around IRS employees and taxpayers, since they need to engage, um, just piggybacking off the last question. So how are you considering the intersection of the employee and taxpayer experience, especially as the IRS onboards new personnel? Yeah, so I'll jump in on that one too. To be honest, we have a lot of work to do there. When we bring people into IRS from outside of government, the culture shock is very real. And the way that we onboard folks does very little to help with that. And often it really highlights the cultural differences from the day that people arrive. There's also an internal culture shock when we hire from within government, but bring people into online services where we're trying to operate like product teams in the outside world and be more agile and utilize a lot of skills that are really new and unfamiliar. It's a big shift. So right now we handle that part of our employee experience by making up for a lack of standardization and a huge cultural shift in process with a lot of one-on-one mentorship and peer support and apprentice style learning, but we're trying to get better. 
within our team. And I think IRS as a whole, there's a lot of energy toward improving the employee experience, but the problems are really big. And we have a lot of folks on the team. The irony of our work in user experience is that we spend all our time thinking about people's experiences and the moments that matter and the root causes of things. So we definitely see the problems and can start to see the solutions more immediately, which can be frustrating because we see what's going on. We know how to solve it, but we only have so much time and energy and we have to choose where to spend it. And so far we are all in on the taxpayer experience. We are here to serve people and we're going to absorb the complexity of the employee experience for now, but keep an eye on employee experience in the long term from our team's perspective. But luckily, one of the core objectives of the Inflation Reduction Act strategic operating plan is improving employee experience. So from a beyond online services perspective, we know that our HCO team is working really hard to think about transforming at scale across all those processes and systems. Going back to AI real quick, AI has been in the spotlight generally lately. So how are you and the IRS broadly thinking about this emerging technology when you're building out your online services? Yeah, this has been an interesting topic and one that I've been well involved in. But but first, let me start by saying, um, you know, AI is not new, right? It's been around almost three decades. What is new is um, it's certainly getting a lot of buzz as it begins to transform public and private sector organizations and go more mainstream. So I think what we're seeing is a realization of the possibilities in sectors that traditionally haven't looked at it, invested in it, and believed in it. Those possibilities and, and, and looking to automation to help support increased productivity, increased efficiency, and effectiveness, I think is where we we have seen and we've started to see the agency really focus on that some more internally. Online services is looking to artificial intelligence to fuel a lot of the digital applications that we're working towards. So our chat efforts to and to assist taxpayers in real time or near real time responses or solutions to their most common problems or queries. Um, We're also looking to leverage it in our analytics efforts. April might have a couple of words to say about that, but really to help us uncover behaviors and anomalies to address taxpayer needs more proactively and and to address their expectations with new existing or re-engineered processes and uh, digital tools. Lastly, what I'd say about that is we want AI to help us internally really look at our efficiencies, our manual processes, and our back end uh, our, our uh, solutions to really drive that effectiveness that the customer, the taxpayer will experience on the front end to address redundant work that can easily be learned and repeated by a bot or robotics that are uh, being driven by artificial intelligent bots. I, I think that's where we're starting to, and we'll continue to see more and more as we, you know, look at AI, but also look at ethical AI and how we can be, um, you know, take our time to do it right. You know, there's, you get really one chance to do this right, to get trust from taxpayers. Um, And so we're being very methodical, very intentional, very cautious, but we recognize the benefits and we're starting to use it in areas where we know we can get great learnings and apply it across the agency. Definitely. Love to see your perspective there, especially since AI is emerging, people are talking about it. So 
Beyond filing, the IRS does provide a lot of other services, such as claiming tax credits. And, you know, lots of people out there don't know that they can claim credits that they qualify for, such as the child tax credit. So as you look to build.irs.gov and your online services, what is your office doing to build greater transparency in letting taxpayers claim credits that they qualify for? Sure. So um, I, I think this is one that's great because I think this will, the, what we're doing in this space will really rebrand the agency from, you know, what I mentioned earlier, uh, enforcement and compliance more into services. So uh, specified in the Inflation Reduction Act and the recently released Strategic Operating Plan under Objective 4 is an initiative that specifically addresses this shortfall and some of the misperceptions that often come with taking advantage of a tax credit. So the Office of Online Services vision is to leverage the public's interaction with authenticated digital applications like their online account to proactively suggest or inform credits like credits and deductions that they may be entitled to, and then to steer them to the right information to learn more and actually apply them. And again, this is leveraging data. So when you think about the child tax credit, if someone has a child and they have an online account and that appears, we'd love to be able to say, are you taking advantage of this and, and you know, help them steer them in the right dire- direction in plain language to understand what they need to do to claim that credit? We're confident this approach will build that public trust, help rebrand us as a service industry, and really focus on the trust and taking advantage of these money-saving opportunities without you know, this fear or hesitation of it's going to create an audit or they're going to look at me different. The extension deadline for individual filers was just this past month in mid-October. As the 2023 tax filing year came to an end, What have been some of the lessons learned in terms of how you've seen the public interact with the IRS and file, and how are you taking some of those lessons to further prepare for the next filing season? So it's really hard to boil down into a reasonable summary all the things that we have learned in the last tax filing year, and really in the last uh, several years within IRS and sort of across the digital service delivery federal community, but. I'll give you the top three. The number one thing that we have learned and are continuing to validate and see over and over again is that most people don't want or need to become tax experts. We've historically focused a lot on education, content delivery, telling people the rules, explaining things. And that is, of course, something we will always have to do as a primary source of information, but it's not enough. We need to move beyond educating and now shift our focus to quick and pleasant transactional knowledge experiences that give people only enough information to do what they need to do in a given moment with confidence. So that that shift from education to sort of asking and answering questions and delivering content in the moment is something that we are acting on as we continue to see that. Number two, we need to shift the way we measure success from output to outcome. Mm. Because when you measure output and activity and operations, as we historically have done, the logical way to improve those numbers is to do more. But when you measure outcomes for the people that you serve, 
often the logical way to improve outcomes is to do less or do things differently or combine and simplify. And the third one that is very inspiring to me, I think, and great cause for optimism is that we have learned that trust is possible and increasing trust is possible. We see within our own in-house user research and from other agencies and from OMB and from social sciences in general, that improving taxpayer experience or customer experience has a provable positive impact on a person's trust in the agency they're dealing with and in government as a whole. And the ripple effect of that trust building goes well beyond tax filing. And it really has the potential to change the relationship between individuals and government for the better, which of course, uh, from an IRS perspective, also means people are going to be more willing and able to comply with their tax obligations and maybe even have a less bad or dare I say, good experience doing it. So we know it's possible and we hope to get there. Awesome. Say our listener is an everyday taxpayer who may dread filing their taxes or engaging with the IRS. What's your final message to them to let them know that they can trust you? You know, I can I can speak to that a little bit. I think as we continue to develop self-service tools and making information transparent and even the things that we're working on transparent proactively, I think trust builds just by communicating more in plain language, providing services that they can easily assess, um, access and get the help they need without waiting, without feeling like they're they're getting part of the solution. You know, one of the things that we're really turning our focus on is, um, which I think kind of supports the question you just asked that, that April answered, is how are we addressing scammers and bad actors that are exploiting people's ability to gain more trust with the IRS to do bad things, right? To exploit vulnerable populations. And I think as we're now getting out in front of that, Leveraging data, leveraging AI to understand, you know, what are what are how are people using the trust that's building with the agency to exploit? Um, I think as we continue to publicize and make noise around the things that we're doing in those spaces, people will feel much more comfortable working with us, providing us information because it'll be about protecting them and less about compliance enforcement that traditionally they've associated with the agency. Yeah, it's such a tricky one because I think ultimately the proof is in the pudding, right? We can tell people we're working for them. We can tell them we're delivering for them. We can tell them that our focus is on closing the credit gap and making sure they get everything they're entitled to. And that's all true. But what I would ask, I guess, is for people to watch and see what happens in the next filing season, but especially the next two or three filing seasons they're going to see real change, real impact. We are making things easier and smoother and better and clearer. So give us a little time because we are here working for you. I will add to that also. This just came to mind. Um, You know, traditionally, it's um, there's this narrative or this perception out there. And and to some extent, maybe it was true that, you know, high wealth, high dollar people were, were not being 
addressed with the IRS as lower and middle income. And I think as we're beginning to see that now, right, that, hey, the integrity in the system, the fairness, I think that's also going to be a way for people to start saying, oh, this is the change that we had hoped to see, we never thought we would see, and it'll really help build that trust. That's very true. So we've talked about keeping the high income accountable, preventing scams, making sure that anyone can reach out to the IRS whenever they need. It sounds like there's a lot of great things coming. And I'm so grateful to have had you two on the show today to share your stories and to give our listeners a sneak peek into all the good stuff coming down the road. No need to be afraid of the IRS. (laughs) Thank you. Happy to have been here and been able to um, help uh, spread our story. Yes. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thanks again to Karen, April, and the IRS online services team for giving us a glimpse into the changes that are happening now and those that are coming down the line to thankfully make our interactions with the IRS so much better. I also want to give a special shout out to our show. Some of you who've been around since the beginning of Empathy Affect may know that we launched the show a year ago in November 2022. Thank you to all who have joined our conversations along the way, and thank you to our guests who have made all of our episodes possible. We'll be coming to you with season two next month in December, kicking things off with a discussion around the Environmental Protection Agency's work promoting environmental justice. I hope you'll join us. And in the meantime, make sure to follow, subscribe, share the show with your friends and celebrate with us during our anniversary. Empathy Effect is a product of Forrest Marsh. You can reach us at Fours Marsh Media at ForsMarsh.com with any feedback, questions, or inquiries. If you want to know more about today's guest, are interested in participating with Fours Marsh, or becoming part of our community, check out our show notes for more information.